0: You're listening to the Regent College podcast. Hello, my name is Octavio Fernandez y mostajo My name is Claire Perini.
1: And welcome back to the Regent College podcast,
0: or oh, just welcome to the Regent po- College podcast. Maybe, maybe this is their first one.
1: Yeah, most likely it's not <laughs> going to be your first one. Your first and last.
0: <laughs> that's right. It so better right. not be. <laughs> uh, today we had another conversation with Connolly Gillum, whose name I've been pronouncing wrong all this time. But yeah. Connolly Gillum.
1: We said Gilliam, but yeah, it's not Gilliam. It's
0: Gillum. And she is a longtime friend of Regent. She's a graduate from here. She has an MA in Theological Studies. She serves on the Board of Governors. Uh, She wrote a book, which we reflected on in another podcast a little while ago uh, about singleness. She's recently co-authored a book with her friend, Paula Reinhardt, and it's called And Yet Undaunted. Undaunted.
1: Undaunted.
0: Embraced by the goodness of God in the chaos of life. And so we had a conversation with her about the goodness of God. We had a conversation about sort of what they're hoping for in the book. Uh, we talked a little bit about um, racism, yeah uh, but we and a little bit more a little bit about singleness and uh, some other things as well so it death was, a little bit about death oh yeah just yeah. all the all the big yeah. things so really about how does like how do how do we understand our own stories of chaos and where things don't go as you would yeah. expect, and how does that get mapped? On a larger story, yeah. the larger narrative um, of God from creation to new creation. So that's really the structure of the book. Yep. And so she explains that in there as well. Um, I've read the book. I've read the book. That's a great book. Yes. I would, uh, I would strongly encourage you to, to listen to it. I'd strongly encourage you to read it.
1: Listen to it audiobook. Well, no, audiobook? Audio, Is it audiobook? I don't know. I don't know.
0: I'd strongly encourage you to read it, but that's after you listen to this podcast. Yes. So yes. enjoy our conversation. Connolly, welcome back to the Regent Podcast. Thank you, Claire. It's good to be back. And now you're actually flesh and blood, not on the I yeah, know. It's fun to be in here studio. in real time. In studio. Yeah. How do you like our studio I space? This space is amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Millions of dollars. Millions in equipment. of dollars. Yeah. Now yeah.
2: I know where my donations are going. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> just ah, kidding It's great to have you back <laughs> um, We, You have just released a book that you've co-authored with your friend Paula Reinhardt, And the book is called, in case you didn't know what it was called, yeah. the book that you wrote It's called And Yet Undaunted,
1: undaunted. Embraced
0: Undaunted Undaunted And yet undaunted Is that how, how would you say it? Uh, no,
1: un- undaunted?
0: Undaunted and yet Undaunted, undaunted. Embraced by the goodness of God in the chaos of life uh, So we're going to talk a little bit about that but yes, I'm going to start with a question. Go ahead.
1: It, it was really interesting uh, the, the co-author part of it because sometimes when I when I read a, a book that was uh, written by uh, multiple people, it's basically you get a chapter, I get a chapter, you get another chapter, and I'll get another chapter, and that's it. So you you, you totally feel the, the okay, this is different people. They they basically did it on their own, and, and and some somehow the editor just taped them together, and there you have a book. But this one was like it's it's you have you have a chapter. It says like small like subtitled Connolly, and then you say something and then like for three pages and then Paula and then so you were and you, you can feel your voices and you can feel part of the conversation in, in, in the same uh, topic in the same chapter so I really appreciated that part and I actually told my wife that was very interesting from that book the mm-hmm. way they did it they co-authored it I was it was good so why did you co-authored and how did it feel was it weird
2: it was surprisingly not weird And we co-authored it, really, because the content of the book is what had emerged out of an ongoing friendship of, you know, 15 or 17 years at that point. Mm -hmm. So it's really an extension of a conversation. Mm -hmm. So to write the book together actually made more sense because, in essence, it is offering conversations. It's like having a cup of coffee with both of us together.
1: Yeah. 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 That's how it felt. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It wasn't weird. No, it really wasn't weird, and we live in two different towns, and I think we were, it really is that one thing, when one person falls, the other person can lift them up, Mm. because when I'd be like, oh, I'm sort of tired of writing this book, Paula would say, well... You just need to keep doing it. Sorry mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. And when Paula would be like, oh, this part of my book, the book that I'm writing is not good. I'd say you are lost in your own negativity. It's, yeah. it's great. <laughs> let's, let's keep going. Yeah. yeah. So it's a very positive experience, mm-hmm. actually. Far less lonely than writing a book alone.
1: Mm-hmm. E, but yeah, I, I think sometimes you can be like good friends as you, as you are. But when you go into your creativity, that sometimes becomes a problem. Because as a musician, we were like, I have we're good friends with with somebody, but when it comes to uh, uh, when you time to create, like, yeah, creativity flows differently, and we have different like creative ways we go around. So so then we have a problem outside creating. No, so so I was right. like, how did that go? How did I feel?
2: Well, I think one of the things that this is maybe <clears throat> deeper than creation, but it allows for the creativity to flow between us, is that. I think because of 15 years or 17 years of friendship at that point, there is trust that was built. And Mm. I think what could be, and I don't want to almost jinx it by saying it, but what could be a a sort of dance of competition Mm -hmm. was not actually there because fundamentally I want Paula to do Mm. a great job. Uh And I know that she actually wants the same for Uh me. So there's this sense in which our Critiques, or I don't know if I would do it that way, mm-hmm. are held within this greater context of I actually want you to succeed yeah. in this. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm. So it's a bit different than that way than just two solo
0: creative acts trying to merge. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. That Does that make sense. sense? Yeah, yeah. That was good. Yeah.
0: And so the book sort of is a, um, a pretty. Uh, vulnerable, there's some vulnerable stories in there that are kind of woven into this larger narrative. Do you want to just give us just sort of a brief overview of the book and then we might sort of dive mm-hmm. into some of, the, yeah. some of the different kind of things that come up, but give us the kind of brief overview. Okay, <clears throat> so basically the book uh,
2: exists to help the reader uh, map their life in alignment with God's big, good gospel story of mm-hmm. creation, fall, redemption, restoration, or how life ought to be, how it is how it can be in Christ and how it will one day be for those who are in Christ. And it's, our hope is is that by teasing out what each of those, if you will, acts of the big story, what each of those acts means in the life of, uh, of Paula and me, but hopefully the reader as mm. well, then it will enable the reader to get uh, far more deeply grounded in the reality that God is good, the story is bigger mm-hmm. than we imagine and we can have um a quiet confidence to go forward, mm-hmm. still able to smile at the future.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it definitely has that sense of um yeah, in a context where doubt is everywhere and mm-hmm. it's um and kind of people are wondering whether the Christian faith has anything mm-hmm. for me anymore. Is this yeah, actually? Do really we get true? the whole thing wrong? Is yeah, this yeah. yeah. like an old <coughs> thing of our previous generations? Yes. Yeah. There's this yeah. thing, there's this sense of, oh no. The gospel still really is yeah. good news, yeah. and yeah, you see that kind of woven through uh, the way you sketch the big, the larger narrative, and then the way you sort of map your own stories in there as well. And there's just good points there where you offer, you leave space for people to reflect on things as well. Yes. To kind of help with it Yeah, well. strangely
2: enough, people uh, have commented as much on the questions that we do have at the mm. end of each chapter. Mm-hmm as the chapters like they actually like the chance to grapple with some of the points that are raised in the book and try and tease them down into the reality of their own lives Mm
0: -hmm. yeah it's great
1: yeah it was really interesting you said that through the book you sort of discovered oh
0: I'm actually Christian I really believe this (laughs) Yeah, which which is really
1: interesting because I I think we we tend to do that a lot sometimes it's like huh turns out I really believe this yeah it's like I I never expect to feel this way, like after after this or whatever.
2: Right. Well, I mean, Paul and I would say we've each been believers. I mean, she's sixty eight, I'm fifty four, but essentially fifty years each. Mm. I mean, four. I didn't have a radical conversion at four, but Mm. I I, I remember, (laughs) you know, um, faith like a child, yeah, faith like a a child. child. Um, But the the journey has been one of ever-deepening rediscovery, mm. discovery and rediscovery of, no, this is real. Mm. And yeah. we, did, we did joke that, oh my gosh, after writing this book over a couple of years, we decided we were Christians. Uh-huh. We were already Christians. Mm. But there is a sense when the cultural tide starts to pretty substantially and with an increasing pace shift, it's a great discovery to say, no, actually, I'm still all in. This mm-hmm. is real. Yeah, and yeah. it's actually good. It's and it, so interesting. And yeah. it can actually carry... Any of us and plus some hmm. uh, forward. It's a mm-hmm. big enough, good enough story.
1: Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Also interesting. So, I was struck by the first. I don't, I don't remember was between the f- this first, second, third, fourth chapter. You talk about <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. about <laughs> <Okay. somebody coughs> right. the, the goodness about of God. Th- 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 sorry
2: about the goodness of God. Yeah, sorry, so yeah and yeah.
1: There's a <laughs> phrase that said uh, God's goodness is being challenged frequently in our lives and in the world. Yeah. and and i was like it, it somehow just jumped out of me and and i just stopped and had to think like it's being challenged because sometimes you so, so, sometimes you, you think okay do i believe god is good mm-hmm. and sometimes like you 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 are convinced god is good oh yeah i think i think god is good mm-hmm. and then maybe the devil is like yeah wait give it give it a second <laughs> give it a second yeah. and then like something else going to come is like do you think God is good now? Mm-hmm. And then, like, oh, and then you go through through a, a huge emotional mess and it's mo- emotional turmoil. And then you're like, at the end, yeah, God is good. Yeah. I think yeah, God. I, I, now, 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 sure, God is good. The devil would be like, huh? Give it a moment. <laughs> and then something else would happen, and you'd, and you'd be like, huh? So God is good now. Do you think he's still good? Like no. and then, like, and, and not only what happens to you, but what you see in the world and happen to different people, and and is the concept of the goodness of God is still being challenged. After all of this you've seen and heard, you think God is still good, (laughs) you'll be like, oh, So it it, it was very interesting that the goodness of God is being challenged every time by different voices, by your own voices. It's like, okay, again, do I believe God is good? And you have to revisit and revisited the whole thing, so I had to stop and think, and it was it was pretty interesting.
2: Well, it is. I think it, it's a, I think it's a true thing that for a lot of, I'll speak for maybe more Americans, more generally. It's hard to speak in gross generalizations, but um, the post World War II boom mm. really set, I think, Americans on a track of we can make more consume more have more in a sense if we play by the rules mm. this is outside of the church but also within the mm. church we will have um our best life now yeah and c- concurrently we haven't had a great at least in the world and the circles i've been in a great uh, theology of suffering Yeah, and so when things just go south when life zigs instead mm. of zags when you're expecting to go one direction and it's 180 degrees in a different direction mm-hmm. and you're kind of washed up on shores you did not anticipate. If you aren't held by uh, a sort of a, a robust theology mm-hmm. of yeah. suffering, yeah. it's particularly easy in those thi- in those times to think, I made up the whole God thing mm. and his mm. goodness is poof, an illusion. Yeah, yeah, And what we're saying is that actually no poof, it's not an illusion. There's actually something solid mm-hmm. and real about his goodness, even when life zigs when you thought it would zag. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: yeah. E- even your concept of the word goodness is like, okay, what, mm-hmm. when I say goodness, mm. what pops into your head? You mean like everything's pink right. when you say like like the goodness, in yeah. God God is all about the pink right. and the beautiful and the flowers and the good smells. That is what goodness is all about. So so like what you're talking about, even the theology of suffering and and and, and the goodness in it. And yeah, it's you you have to think what is goodness? What does goodness mean?
2: Yeah, I think that's actually a great question and. I think we don't go ahead and give a direct definition in the book. Maybe we should have. You know, you discover these things afterwards. You can do it now. Okay. The goodness of God is the reality. He is who he says he is, and Mm. he will be present. Mm. And that is Mm. present everywhere, every time, every moment. And so that is the goodness of God. He is who he says he is, as revealed in the scriptures, Mm -hmm. and he will be present. And you can bank the whole gig on that.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the the book sort of maps out both of your stories, as we were saying, and these places where your life zigged instead of zagged, and um, both yours and Paula's and in different ways. Do you want to? Do you want to talk to? You can choose which which story you want to share with us now. But what um, sort of one one of the parts of the of the of your own story where you've seen kind of it go kind of off script, so to speak, and then how you've seen the kind of redemptive what will be sort of process in that? You can choose. You can. There's a couple of different options, but you why don't
2: you give me? You've read it. Why don't you say? I what would comes say. To your well, we've, yeah, talked, yeah.
0: we've talked. You talk about your unintentional singleness in there, mm-hmm. but we've done a podcast on that. Yeah. yeah. So let's let's talk about your latent racism.
1: Your latent you're racism. latent racist. You're
2: latent I'm feeling a little uncomfortable. I'm squirming in can, my seat.
1: We can feel it as we speak.
0: Yeah. We can feel yeah. it. Like, eyebrow goes yeah, up, his like, nostrils flare, and yeah. he is giving me the stink eye. I was feeling um, your vibe. Well, well the everybody. whole idea is that we map our own stories onto it. So your story yeah. is somehow part of my story. So it's really, we're really like talking okay. about my own latent so racism. I so I am yeah. from the
2: South in America, and I would never, ever have claimed the label racist. Mm. Um, but the reality is that I, I really did come into a culture that somehow, it, it directly or inadvertently, or it was the air, the water, however you want to say it got there. I absorbed the belief that my culture, because we have more power mm-hmm. within the South, we are therefore not just stronger but in a sense, more worthy Mm -hmm. of the power we have. Um, And when you're in the South, that question of place and worth definitely Mm. plays out, even if Mm. you're not talking about it, Mm. but it plays out intrinsically um, around questions of hierarchy and questions of race. Mm -hmm. And there's no way around that. And it was actually in my friendship with one roommate who's African-American, Maria, where this finally came to a head because she would be uh, a woman who considered herself to have many many white friends and be totally cool with white people Mm. (laughs) and i had been doing lots of like cross-racial work and Mm -hmm. lived in Mm -hmm. philly taught at the center for urban theological studies grappled with race questions of faith and race and justice as they show up in the scriptures i mean a very woke Mm -hmm. kind of white woman (laughs) and um but it was in the context of our relationship yeah. that uh, what came out was something she could smell deeper in me. And uh-huh. we were like two tigers kind of yeah. eyeing each other, yeah. <laughs> smelling each other. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, go, right.
1: go. I, was, I was wondering, what did you smell? What was the smell? What, what was the problem exactly? What did you discover?
2: Well, I'll tell you what I spelled out, Maria, but I'll tell you what Maria smelled about me, which is m- much more what's in the story. With Maria... Um, I smelled that no matter what I did, she would not trust me, that there Mm -hmm. was, for all the talk about, oh, I have white friends, da-da-da-da-da, on some level, there was a place I was not going to get into as a friend, no matter what I did. Uh Um, What she smelled in me, she put it this way, she said, on some level, I smelled that you thought you belonged in the dining room, and I belonged in the kitchen, some presupposition of superiority of place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this was an intuitive thing. There were not, you know, we couldn't even point to direct concrete Mm -hmm. things that someone had done. Mm -hmm. But it was like a vibe that um, we're both super intuitive and that we're picking up. And it's hard to tell sometimes when is it reality? When is it personality? When is it reality? When is it past wounds screaming out an interpretation? But uh, as we worked this through... um, Well, it really came to head. I'll tell you this story. I don't think I I can't remember if I put this in the book or not, (laughs) but where a friend of ours was uh, over and she was praying. We're praying for our household. It was a group living situation, praying for my friendship with Maria in particular. And this friend, Harriet, was biracial. Mm -hmm. So she was African-American and white. And she comes into the dining room. She goes over to the um, cabinet and she takes out this crystal glass. And she starts to look at it, and I start to get uncomfortable. And I start to get sort of, you know, the hairs on the back of my Mm. neck standing up. And I say to her, I say, Harriet, I'm suddenly feeling uncomfortable. And she's just holding the glass, and she says, I can see whoever owned this having a sense of um, station in life. And I'm suddenly feeling, she hadn't even really said anything, I'm feeling Mm. so defensive. Uh And I say that, and she said, well... And this is Harriet, she's quite like Holy Spirit person, I don't know how else to say it. And she (laughs) says, uh, yeah, that's typically what happens when there's strongholds. And I said, oh. And then I have this thought, I wanna smash that glass because I want to demonstrate to God that I wanna be free of this. I wanna be free Mm. to live out the stuff that I technically talk about and speak on and live into, but don't on some Uh, deep mm. core level. And so I went upstairs and I got on my hiking boots and I went outside and I was with Maria and Harriet. And then part of me is like, I've gone crazy. Mm. Like, I'm crazy, girl. I'm about to smash an anti-crystal glass. Who does that? Uh You know, I hope my mother doesn't find out. I'll get in trouble for one of the, you know. and But I, I say, I think I really want to do this. And Harriet says, are you sure you want to do it? I said, yes. And I said, I just want a symbolic demonstration Mm. of I want to be free. I want to be free to love. I want to be free to be like Jesus. I want to be free to have my identity in him, first and foremost, not denying my culture, but something that transcends my culture. And she says, okay. And so I close my eyes. She prays. She prays quite voluminously. And um, she takes my foot, and I go, and I smash that glass. And suddenly I realize it doesn't feel quite right And uh, I look down, and she's replaced the glass with a plastic red Solo Mm. cup. Mm. Uh And she says, to obey is better than sacrifice. And I burst out crying. And... um, and Maria would say, looking back at that time, she said that is when something shifted uh-huh. in what you were radiating. Mm. You know, it's a subjective statement, obviously from yeah. Maria, but I think there's there was real truth there.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, I I was fascinated reading this, that part of the book, and th- there's a little bit I want to read from there, and it's in the chapter that's called "Naked, Afraid, and Not So Nice," which I think is in the the kind of fall moment yeah. of the the grand story. And it says the journey together wasn't easy or straightforward. There were difficult words. Wincing moments, awkward pauses, truth telling, wound licking, prayer, the discovery that my sin was not just against her, but against our shared Creator, repentance, forgiveness, attitudes shifts, mix up the steps, and repeat. Mm. And so uh, that's that's such a like it's such it's it's in your chapter on four. But in some ways, there's there's the redemptive moment of that. Um, Do you want to talk to us a little bit about how that how friendship kind of helped? Uh, be part of that, of the redemptive process for you around, around racism. Race. Well, yeah.
2: it's been, uh, I think that's been true. I mean, it predated uh, my friendship with Maria. It was actually my friend Sherry. She and I, this was, you know, a few years even before this, Sherry, who's from Philly, also African-American, she and I did some speaking together on these questions of black-white issues in the American church. And um, uh, Sherry was the first person to say to me, uh, if you simply acknowledge the reality of my experience, she said, that goes such a long way. Mm. She said, because so much of the larger white culture will say, I'm crazy. This isn't uh, what's what's really going on. She said, and yet I know what I've experienced both Mm. in my life, in my family's life, and on and off day to day. And so there was this sense in which Sherry trusted me enough to say, please just tell the truth around this stuff Mm. and don't be scared. I think there's this weird fear that, um, and I'm not saying every white person is a racist. I I don't mean that at all. But there is a weird fear to acknowledge um, racism, Mm -hmm. or there can be a weird fear to acknowledge, maybe for fear that undercuts the uh, American story, or in the church it undercuts the um, power of the gospel or something. But Sherry was saying, please just tell the truth. And um, and my friend Tracy Elizabeth, also, we were in a small group that was black and white women going through this book, old book now called Search for Significance, trying to find what do we share in common in terms of our identity in Christ, mm. um, in spite of cultural differences. And Tracy Elizabeth saying, I, um, I need to be able to express my anger without you personalizing it Connolly, and thinking that when i'm feeling angry at some mm. encounter i had with a white person yeah. i'm somehow now mad at you yeah. and you have to defend that. all white people to me yeah. which is sort of my knee-jerk mm. reaction mm-hmm. um so it was a l- it's it's actually been almost all yeah relationship yeah i mean yeah. some of it theory but most of it real relationship yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
1: Sorry for interrupting your podcast, but Claire Perini has something important to say.
0: This podcast is a ministry of Regent College and relies on the support of generous donors. If you've enjoyed our conversation today or any other day, please consider making a small donation to the college at rgnt.net forward slash give. That's R-R-G-N-T. (laughs)
1: How <laughs> oh, do you say R?
0: Ah. Uh, uh. <laughs> R. Okay, let me do that again. R. G- R. G. R. Please consider making a small donation to the college at rgnt.net forward slash give. That's R- G- N- T dot net slash give.
1: Now, if you really want to make a day, when you donate there's a comment box please leave a note saying that the podcast sent you. Thank you. Thank you. And enjoy the rest of the podcast. For example, if you if you grow with and you see when you're a kid there's a there's two groups and in, in our case there's indigenous people mm. and us the mixed people. So in in or or in in your history, there's always been like being like. Uh, in my case, I'm, of course, I'm, I'm mixed like most Latinos, and and there's always been like the, the white people against uh, oppressing the, the indigenous people. And somehow, like in my case of mix, you would choose maybe as a kid, who do you identify right, with? Right. Do you feel more white? Do you feel more 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 indigenous? I think in my head, I felt I feel more white than, mm-hmm. than indigenous. I feel more European than indigenous, and that was in the back of my head a whole time. Right. So in my head I wasn't mixed. I was w- more white and and we were like on top of this people and now we were letting them play the the real grown-up game. We're inviting you to the real table and and now you get to play with us with the white people with the white people. Mm-hmm. And right. like and like you, you you should feel you should feel grateful that we're right. now letting you play with the white people. Mm. Cuz in and it's all subconscious,
2: right? Right. It's you're not setting out to do that. No,
1: hundred yeah. percent not. And I didn't know I didn't aden- identify as white. Mm. And like, especially when I came to the region, it's like you you, you, you dumb person. Like I'm not white. I'm I'm like I'm like totally mixed, and I'm very Bolivian. I thought it was, you know, so super Western and and <laughs> and you know, uh, so worldly and blah blah blah. And like, no, you're super Latino and, and whatever you had in your head. It's, it was just full of yeah. baloney. Yeah. And 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 but like when you say when you say it out loud, and when you and when you like, I'm gonna face it. I'm gonna talk yeah, about it. Yeah, and I'm gonna be public about it. And it's it's so helpful for so many. And and for you to begin with, yeah. and then with the rest of the people that wanna. Because now you get shamed if you, if you say, right, like, I'm right. a racist. Oh,
2: my gosh. Like, mm. when you even feel little things of sort of an ethnic superiority that yeah. bubble up inside of you, the shame. Oh, yes. Pull, like, shut that down. But yeah. then you never get freedom. Exactly. And you don't ever get light in there. And yeah. you don't ever – you can't ever laugh, in my case, with my friends of color. And, oh, well, that's a little streak and con there, yeah. mm. you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, and it makes sense. I mean, there's a great irony. It's so hard to talk about um, sort of superiority, racism, uh, ethnicity as a white person, or it can be so hard. But the reality is, I mean, you look at where say Revelation 21, where it's headed, it's that the nations, the kings of the nations, or the ethne, might bring Mm -hmm. their honor to God, right? Like That's where history is headed, or to Jesus, to the feet of Jesus. So that's where history is headed, to where all the ethne get to bring their honor so of course the like the enemy of our souls is going to want to divide create create lies about the divide and if Mm. he can use one group of believers to like trump the honor of another Mm. group of believers he's like uh uh-huh this is working so the way to push back is just to start to become truth tellers who are ultimately shaped by um uh, humility and grace yeah. and not just either defensiveness or yeah. anger.
1: Mm-hmm. The other thing I love that th- you were very open is, is about your sexuality as a single person mm-hmm. and the struggles you have because mm-hmm. I think I think as a church we've practiced so much pretending we're not sinners. And we pretend we're not racist We pretend mm. we're not homophobics. We pretend we don't have issues with sexuality. We're like everything is okay. So, so like now society is even reinforcing that because you have to be like the like the shame culture, and, and you cannot say nothing uh, against anybody. So we, we even we we're now supposed to even hide that even more. So I was I was I was re- really like refreshed of yeah. uh, when when you were honest and saying nope. Yeah, I'm struggling with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll struggle with that, and then I'll struggle with racism, and i struggle with that. And I'm in yeah. love with Jesus. Yeah. And it, that doesn't change like that's who I am. That's what's happening. And that was those. That was yeah, amazing.
2: and if the journey of like uh transformation or the journey of uh just sanctification, that's the word I was looking mm-hmm. for. If that journey is like coming into greater alignment with who Jesus is, then being able to name the non-aligned parts, yeah. Is really pretty crucial, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And not as some like nasty, hateful self introspection. That's I'm going to just take myself apart scrupulously, um, but as the, it's actually the gift to be able to say, Ah, oh, yes, Lord, this is me. This yeah. is me. Come on in. Yep. Work in progress. Yeah. Mm. and But I can only do it, of course, to come full circle mm. if I trust that actually God's intent for me is good. Mm. He yeah, exactly. himself is who he says he is, and he will be present no matter what I'm bringing to him.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, you, as you kind of work through the book and you map it onto this, this whole what ought to be, what is, what can be, what will be, um, and this thing of externally maybe I look like I'm not racist but actually there's something in my interior life that's right. needing. Do you want to talk a little bit like so Paula talks about that in her past about redemption being in those interior spaces. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that sort of jumping off what you're saying about shame and, sure. and those kinds of things because shame's a – we love Brené Brown and, you know, she's kind of put that, that language in our – but, yeah, how you've, been, how you've thought about that and how Paula talks about that. Yeah, the Paula does a great job in Chapter 5 um, – uh, something
2: like how redemption, something, something interior spaces. Mm-hmm. Bottom line, how that <laughs> stuff gets in there. Yeah. Uh-huh. And she takes these four, if you will, words that can be used as handles to try and, um, as we attend to our lives and the gaps, so to speak, the gaps between us and God, the gaps mm-hmm. between us and one another, the gaps between us and creation, you know, slash the world mm-hmm. around us, as we mind those gaps, so to speak. Um, What do we do when technically we believe this stuff, but in fact, down where it really matters inside of us, Mm -hmm. we know there's a distance, a distance between us and God, a distance between us and others. And Paula makes the suggestion in the book and then traces this out in her own life almost as an example that we attend to four words, Mm. um, wound, lie, choice, and truth. Um, Wound being those places that have been wounded either by others' choices or our own choices. Mm. The lies that have latched onto us as a result, because wounds are like a hotbed for lies. The choices that we've made because of what we've believed. Mm. And then, in fact, what is it to um, apprehend or absorb truth deeply down uh, into the center of who we are so that the, um, the wounds taste healing, the lies are replaced, and the choices shift. Mm -hmm. So Paula teases that out in the context of her relationship with her mom. I mean, you can read more in the book, but in short, she would say her mom was an accountant, and Paula was words girl. Mm -hmm. And she said she was trying to wrest words of affirmation from her mom for most of her life. Mm -hmm. And the secret lie that she believed as a result of this was that no matter what she did she would never be enough because she could never get those words of affirmation and the choice she said that she began slowly to find herself having made was to be sort of a hard slightly inscrutable professor-like woman who had all the right answers Mm -hmm. and who held everyone at arm's length and um, she said when she began to really acknowledge this that she was she said she was actually an angry woman. It's not that she didn't believe all this. She, she and her husband were in ministry. They're teaching mm-hmm. Christian faith. But um, she said when she began to realize this part of the problem was that the lies she had believed weren't just about herself, but they're actually about God himself. Mm. And that the one whose help she needed, God would actually not give it because he was not in the business of affirming and touching those places in her soul. So she talks about the sort of this slow... Um, process that in in her case began really she said getting down on her knees and uh, saying God if you give words would you start to give words that touch my soul um, words of affirmation mm-hmm. and she tells the story she said you know for a year she decided she would just not have the answers to everything and instead she started asking the questions and she said she would ask people like how do you actually know the love of Jesus down where it actually matters. Mm. I mean, really, how do you know? She said, she uses a metaphor of being a beggar with an empty tin cup standing by to the side of the road and look, asking God, will you fill this? Mm -hmm. And she said it was a strange dance. You know, nothing, none of this is ever really quite linear, but um, of words of affirmation and kind of compliments and feedback seeming to come unbidden Mm. in new ways. And, um, she said, maybe they were there before, and she just couldn't hear them. Mm-hmm. She didn't know. but um, she started to hear them and to be sort of set free to receive them. and uh, and words, passages in scripture started making sense to her in new ways, like where Isaiah is talking about God's people, and he says, "I have redeemed you. Uh, I have called you by name. you are mine. She started, she said, it's like I heard I had the chance to um, he, to hear that maybe that was me, um, fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, Your work is good. I'm not quite quoting Psalm 139 correctly, but I know that full well. Mm. And slowly, she said it was, she was able to say it, and she said it's as if um, the scrub brush of God's Holy Spirit was like like, able to get down in the wells of her soul where lies had been etched and where there was such shame about the lies, like no light ever got down Mm. in there. And it's like she said, those etched in lies began to be scraped off and it was as if light started to be able to um, kind of flood down into those spaces so that the shame of the lack of affirmation um and her desperate longing for it the shame of those two things began to really be lifted mm. she just uses that as an example of mm. how redemption mm. can play out in the now of our lives yeah and in the, those interior spaces interior yeah. spaces
1: yeah and another part that i felt a lot of connection and frustration and 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 uh you know even affirmation it was the the part when we talk with uh, how things ought to be and mm-hmm. they're not because mm-hmm. uh, y- yeah, y- you grow up with so many things. Like yeah, you know, eventually I'm gonna do this, yeah. and this is gonna come, and this is what I'm gonna accomplish, and this is gonna be my life, and it's nothing like it. Yeah. But that was how it was supposed to be like. It, it can even come come from church when you're told if if you respect and if you love God and He's gonna you know if you delight in the Lord He's gonna you know give you the desires of your hearts right. and that's what I did. I prom I really tried, really tried to delight in the Lord, and and my life is not how, how it's supposed to be. Mm. And and well, the
0: desires of my heart haven't been given. Yeah, exactly. So that what yep. is up
1: with that? Yeah. And and but then but then you have like people will tell you, but you know. Uh, uh, there's there's gonna be redemption afterwards and, 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 and eschatology and you have to think about that and and everything is gonna is gonna happen later but th- but then it's like that's not really helping mm. like when you tell you tell me like New Jerusalem <laughs> blah 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 <laughs> right now it's it's really really not helping right. and and sometimes it's like. Please shut up! I need something else like yeah. like that future you're telling me about. So Paul
2: and I are in uh, this was five years ago. We're in Riga, Latvia, and we're sitting having a glass of wine after this uh, gathering where we've spoken, and we're going to be speaking there for the whole weekend. It's about 200 women, everyone from sort of Pentecostal slash assemblies mm. of God to Catholic and everything in between, Methodist, Baptist, the whole whole kit and caboodle have come out for this. And Paula speaks, and she speaks on the oughtness mm. or creation that evening. And as she's speaking and she's kind of talking about the embedded beauty of Adam and Eve of knowing, being known mm. nakedness and unashamed. And I'm sitting there going, well, I'm sorry, but that's not been my experience. Mm. And mm. I can feel this. And this is my co-speaker and,
0: uh, and it's, only Friday, night, and yeah. it's Friday night. And I'm Paul, like, and suddenly, I'm, like yeah. <laughs> right.
2: I'm like, I'm like, Feeling hostile, yeah. And so we go out, and Paula's so cool because she's a therapist, right? She <laughs> said, "So you know, what'd you think about tonight?" And um, I said, "Well, honestly, it really made me angry." And uh, she's like, "Okay, well, tell me, tell more. me more. As a good Talk therapist, to say, How did it <laughs> make you feel? I just told you how I feel. I feel angry." How? Tell me more. And yeah. um, so we unpacked it, and part of part of the way through when life does not align with the oughtness is to be able to acknowledge that God's fundamental intent is good but part of the way through when it's not as it should be is really people in your life who can hear you not offer even if they're the right answers not offer the right answers patly mm. but can actually let you feel the, um, the pain of that unmet fill-in whatever-the-blank-is there. Mm. And uh, it really, we, we laughed, because the next morning, uh, we went to this uh, big old Lutheran church to speak, and I stood up and I said, so last night, Paul and I are debriefing, and I tell her that uh, I really didn't like her talk at all, and it really made me angry. <laughs> and you could see, like, relief mm. flooding over um. women. In the group Mm. And I said Because I bet Some of you all Are feeling like Well that's great For her to talk about that But that's not been my life And you could see We did it all Through a translator But you could see
0: uh, Heads nodding Up and down And up and down Mm -hmm. Our our time is almost done But there's a question That's kind of It is It does tie into your book But it's a question I didn't ask you In our last podcast Mm. And it was something uh, It's around Contentment And hope Mm. And so and I think it does tie into your kind of larger narrative kind of thing. But say if we're to, if we're to re- revisit that place of longing to be married uh, and yet being unexpectedly single. So just we'll just briefly end there. Just you are always like all oh, the I got know, to say stand up in the world and I <laughs> become the person Yeah, that's right. exactly. <laughs> um, but how and I but I think it is in that how have you maintained mm. contentment and hope. Yeah. So contentment in circumstances and yet hope that maybe something will change, or maybe it won't, and yet, so, but, yeah, yeah. so, and you can tie it in with the goodness of God, I maybe. don't
2: know how great I've done with contentment. I mean, yes. let's just be honest, mm. right? I started this whole prayer and fast movement. At one point, we had about 2,000 people total in the whole thing, praying and fasting for husbands, uh, for those who want women who want to be married, you know, courage for men to step up, willingness for us to change, and out of the seven other code leaders, six are married with kids, and I'm not. And I was like, "Seriously, God, mm. you have got to be kidding!" Mm. I started yeah, it. I started it. Come on, what am I like Moses? And I slapped the rock with a <laughs> stick, and I stand on the other side of the <laughs> Promised Land. Um, who did you slap? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know who did I slap? But honestly, so I don't know that I've been great with contentment, mm. uh, though I do feel actually an unusually content mm. stage of my life, and I'm super grateful for that. Mm. Like I'm kind of like, well, whatever happens, I'm you know it's good either way. But I think part of what's been integral to that is realizing that we really are um designed to be fruitful mm. and fruitfulness so to speak lives that reproduce lives which uh cultivate flourishing now and into eternity that the fruitfulness is not limited to married women Mm -hmm. right like fruitfulness is possible male female married single and I don't have to be married to be fruitful Mm. I I, and it seems so obvious I'm kind of embarrassed how long it's taken me Mm. but um I'm not cut out of the big eternal story And I'm not actually cut out of the possibility for a rich, fruitful life in Mm. the now. Mm. Mm. And truthfully, I'm tasting some of that, you know? I mean, there's sort of pros and cons to being single, and there's pros and cons to being married. Mm. And as long as I'm at least connected to a group of both single and married people, Mm. I'm okay. But maybe I'm in a content season, and maybe, you know three years from now and we do another podcast, mm. yeah. I'll be like, oh, contentment, yeah, contentment. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, uh,
0: there, that, that is where I am. That's what I have to offer. Yeah, yeah. that's great. So, Connolly why don't you, um, why don't you read from us just a little section just that kind of toward the end of the book to kind of whet people's appetite to buy it? <laughs> yes,
2: because we would love for people to buy the book for the good that God might want to do uh, in the book, uh, through the book in your life and, So maybe I could afford to put a deck on my house. (laughs) I'm tacky, I know. Okay. This is at the very end of the book, the uh, last chapter. And so in a sense, this is a paragraphs framed by the reality of the restoration or what will be. Can you imagine just for one moment what you might do right now if you could trust that that one recurringly nightmarish place in your life will one day be made right What if you knew that one day things would be set right between you and your sister? What would you do if you knew that one day the injustice you experienced would be fully seen and set right? What might change if the broken promise that broke your heart didn't have the final say? Skipping on. John of Patmos ends the book of Revelation with Jesus' testimony that he is coming soon. Truthfully, neither Paula nor I have any real idea of what soon means, but when we step back and look at where we've journeyed in our lives, and even in this book, we believe that the next stage of the journey will be worth the wait. We know that last mountain range, it opens up to panoramas beyond our wildest imaginations. So between here and there, We've grown to believe that singing, stretching out, surrendering fear again and again makes total sense as we journey. Maybe you've gotten glimpses of this as well. Maybe you even want to join us as we blend our voices with John of Patmosis. He ends his book of Revelation with the words that hundreds upon hundreds of thousands have earnestly prayed as they too have waited. Come, Lord Jesus. Meanwhile, as we wait... We know that there is much good work to do and many people to love. And though it's a bit daunting, I suspect it really might be a good idea in the meantime to take that tango lesson.
1: Boom. Connelly Williams right there. Connelly Connelly Williams.
2: Connelly Williams. I don't know who that is. Connelly Williams. Who is Connelly Williams?
0: Who's Connelly Williams? Connelly Williams. She's my cousin.
1: (laughs) Boom. Connelly Williams right there. She's written a book on.
0: She's, yeah, she's written a different book. Uh, Boom, oh, yeah, Connolly Gillum. <laughs> boom, boom. Thank Connelly. you, thank you for your time. <laughs> Thanks for your book. Thanks, Claire, Thanks, Octavio. You
1: guys thank rock. For being here again.
2: Thanks for listening to the Regent College podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To discover more about Regent College, its upcoming events, conferences, courses, and more content like this, visit regent.net. That's r g n t dot net.